All right, Malachi, let's open to the book of Malachi. Uh, I think I've met most everybody most everybody in here, but if I haven't met you, I'm Jonah. I'm just one of the pastoral interns here on staff. Really excited to dive into this tonight with you guys, but okay. Malachi. All right, well, yeah, this is going to be awesome, just starting a new, I love starting a new series because I, I, I really just uh, nerd out about it. So I want to share that tonight <laughs> with you guys. Uh, but yes, so Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. After this book, there's going to be 400 and some years of silence. Nothing on the other line for, uh, again, 400 plus years. So the Lord's not going to be speaking through any prophet, nobody. You, you, in your Bibles, it'll go Malachi, then it'll go to the Gospels. So we're not going to hear anything until... Uh, we see Jesus revealed in the Gospels, but man, if you're like me, I know that there's going to be a 400-some year period of silence. I want to know what the last word is. Like, what was the last thing that the Lord said? You know, I, I'm just very curious. That's kind of, it, I was just thinking of somebody, like on their deathbed, like, what is the last thing, you know, because that's just going to be an impactful, choose your words carefully type thing. So that's what we're getting here in Malachi, uh, I believe. But uh, before we start, let me just pray one more time. Father, we just ask uh, for your Spirit's guidance tonight, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to understand and perceive. Uh, you know, Lord, that I'm not uh, smart enough, but Father, I just trust uh, the wisdom that comes from above. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord, if there's uh, uh, something we need to change. Maybe there's a, a sin we need to forsake, or maybe there's a uh, uh, just uh, something that we should be be doing more of, Lord. I pray that you would reveal that to us tonight, Father. And I just ask with confidence, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom. And again, just help us, uh, help us, Father, to see the things that uh, we can't see. Take the blinders off, I pray, Lord. And uh, bless this study. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. All right, well, Malachi, it really is a sad book. <laughs> it's very, very sad. It's a, really a story of God's unreturned love. But we'll find throughout this book, the book of Malachi, uh, that God desires real worship. I would go as far to say that that's the main theme of this book. He wants you to be worshiping for real. He wants the real thing. He doesn't want the fakery. He doesn't want us to act pious. He wants real worship. Uh, the name Malachi, it means my messenger. And that's what Malachi was as the Lord's prophet. My messenger, but he's the Lord's messenger. And uh, just to get a clear view of where we are at in the scriptures, um, I just think that the background is very helpful. And so I wanted to, just for a brief moment, just for a few minutes, just go into more of an academic viewpoint. So it might feel a little um, like classroomy, but little teachy. I'm by no means an expert on like biblical historical uh, dating or anything like that. But I, I just want to share with you guys the research that I saw. So I'm, we're going to pull up this timeline really quick. This is a timeline of Malachi. And what we are studying right, right now is here where it says Malachi begins prophetic ministry. Um, I didn't put this timeline together. This person did. Ryrie study Bible. But this is where we are right now. Okay, so this is where Malachi is beginning his prophetic uh, ministry. But if you look... And we're not going to look at all of these, but just starting back over here, okay? You can read, I, you guys read this okay? 
You guys see some of you? Some of you are like, I can't see a thing. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquers Judah. So we remember that the Jews were actually exiled from their homeland. Um, why? Why were they exiled? Well, God had made a, a promise to the Israelites. The short answer is that they were exiled for their sin. That's why they got exiled. And So this is in Deuteronomy 28. We're going to put this on the screen now. This is verse 28. This is Moses speaking. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. All right. So in other words, this is what's going to happen if the Israelites are obedient. There's blessings. He's like, man, I'm just going to pour it out on you guys. Blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Man, that sounds good. I want to be in that camp, right? Blessings. But in that same chapter, we're going to skip down to verses 58 and 59. Uh, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. And then finally, we're going to skip down to verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. Okay, we can go back to uh, that timeline now. But I, I brought all that up because that was the original agreement. This was the original deal. So in other words, the Lord had laid out before the people of Israel, hey, you have two choices. If you go this way, this is going to happen. If you go this way, this is going to happen. If you're obedient, man, I'm going to heap just blessings on your head. It's going to be awesome for you guys. I want you to do that. But if you're disobedient, there's going to be consequences. You will be scattered, he says, if you don't obey me, okay? What happened? They disobeyed. They sinned, okay? So in turn... What happened is 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 14 through 21. We're going to pull those up now. This is verse 14. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more. Okay, so this is them disobeying. According to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. We're going to look at verse 15 now. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers. Okay, these are the prophets. Rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. Okay. So they, they disobey, they, they don't pay attention to the prophets or the messengers of God. And this is what happens in verse 17, looking through verse 21. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the age or the weak. He gave them all into his hand, into the hand of the king of the Chaldeans. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. 
And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Okay, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Okay, So that's the 70-year exile that happens. And Jeremiah predicted it in uh, Jeremiah 29.10. So now that is being fulfilled. But okay, let's pull up the timeline one more time. Okay, so that Chaldean king that we just read about, <clears throat> that was Nebuchadnezzar, okay? He came in and he conquered Judah. Jews are scattered just as the Lord said they would be. So they're now in Babylon. If you look at the next event here, it says Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon. Okay, so 47 years later, King Cyrus of Persia, he comes along. Again, the Jews are scattered in Babylon. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar is dead at this point. But he conquers Babylon. It's a really interesting story. He actually comes in and conquers it really without much of a fight. They had, uh, imagine like a lake. Uh, that was the defense of Babylon. And uh, King Cyrus pretty much drained the lake and walked right in. And he takes over Babylon, okay? But this is great. King Cyrus has great news for the Jews. He says, hey, you guys can go back home. Get out of here. You're not Babylonians. You're Jews. Go back to your homeland. And this is in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read that really quick. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, that says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of his people? In other words, who, which of you guys are Jews here? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. All right. Okay, back to the timeline. So King Cyrus says, hey man, you guys... You're home free. Go home. And you know what? Build the temple too. We need to rebuild that thing. He lets them go back. And then the temple uh, construction begins. Okay? Uh, this is really an up and down period of rebuilding. You can see it was halted. Uh, and just for time's sake, we're, we're going to fast forward to like 515 when the temple is uh, completed in 443, we see that the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt as well. And that was really Nehemiah's ministry. You guys remember that? Nehemiah building the walls. That's an awesome book. Um, but this is pretty cool. We can see that roughly 100 years after King Cyrus said, you guys can go back home and, and start building right here. He said, hey, go back home and build a temple. That's when, again, roughly this is when Malachi is beginning his prophetic ministry. So, Malachi's ministry is very interesting, what we're going to be reading here tonight. It's very similar to Nehemiah's ministry in the sense that Nehemiah rebuked the people of God. And you might remember that Nehemiah had rebuked the people for a couple different sins, but defiling the priesthood was one of them. Uh, corrupt marriages, they were marrying foreigners, they weren't supposed to do that. God said, don't do that. Uh, so they have these corrupt marriages, and they were neglecting tithes and offerings as well, so they weren't uh, putting any money in. So Malachi is going to be addressing, dealing with many of these same sins. The people just, they had rebellious hearts. Uh, 
and they were going to be rebuked by Malachi here. But it's interesting, too, as you look at this timeline, uh, you see a lot of back and forth, a lot of up and down. They would worship idols. They'd get punished for it. They'd repent. They'd turn back to God. And that's sort of the vicious circle that we see with the Israelites throughout the Bible. Uh, They repent and turn back to God, and then they go back to idols. Repent and turn back to God. And you just think to yourself, why couldn't they just have stuck to, like, following the Lord? Why couldn't they just have done it right? Why, why do they keep going back and forth? Um, yeah, why do, why do we do it? <laughs> That's kind of the question. But I was reminded of something that Ronald Reagan said. Um, this is at his inaugural address in 1967. He said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. You guys remember him saying that? But I believe that you could say the same thing about godliness, godliness is never more than one generation away from extinction. So, I mean, if our parents followed the Lord, man, praise the Lord, that's excellent. But that doesn't mean that this generation is just looped into that. And so I think that's what we're seeing here with with the Israelites. Godliness is never more than one generation away from extinction. They're supposed to be obeying the commandments, but Again, uh, we're seeing that today too. You know, a lot of my generation has completely forsaken the things of God. They've just walked away, want nothing to do with it. And uh, yes, we're seeing that cycle as well. But okay, that's what we see here on the timeline. I just wanted to show that. And this is where we're picking it up now. Again, Malachi just has a very similar ministry to Nehemiah and to Ezra. So what was Malachi dealing with? We're going to get into it here in a second, but... The people that he is addressing here were outwardly going through uh, what we call the religious motions. They were going through the motions. And if you would have asked them, this is kind of the scary part, if you would have asked them, how are you guys doing? They would have said, we're good. Yep, we're doing good. Everything's fine. We got the God thing nailed and we're just, uh, we're carrying on. Yeah, we got church and uh, it's great. And uh, yeah, we're doing good. Malachi is looking at them and going, dude, you guys are not doing good. You are not doing good. You, You have corrupt priests. You guys are marrying foreigners. You're not supposed to be doing that. You're neglecting your tithes and offerings. This, you're not doing well. And I'm here to tell you that that was his job. You're sinning against God. But God will make it clear throughout this book that he desires real worship. Real worship. He doesn't want uh, that going through the motions type of response. He wants the real deal. Not religious duty, not acting pious or anything like that. He wants real worship. I was reminded of what Jesus said uh, in John chapter 4, verse 23. Pull it up here. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Listen to this. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. That is a crazy verse, okay? Just as some context, it's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman by the well. And Jews were not supposed to talk to Samaritans, but Jesus is doing it anyways. They're going back and forth. They have this really interesting conversation. But by the end of it, in John chapter 4, verse 20, she says this. We'll pull it up here. I want to pull it up. Our father worshiped on this mountain. And you, listen to this. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. In other words, we got to head down to Jerusalem if we're going to worship. That's where the Jews say we should. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And then verse 23, of course. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. So the Father says that Jesus, or Jesus, sorry, the other way. Jesus says that the Father is seeking something. True worshipers. 
we should really pay attention to that because if, if God is seeking something, man, I want to know what it is. What is the Lord seeking, right? Um, have you ever lost your wallet? Isn't that the worst feeling on earth? For guys, we do this. First thing, you know, you just pat everywhere and you like can't believe it. You're like, dude, where's my wallet? You do like them Macarena pat down. I love that. But I hate it when that happens. You know, that happened to us recently and Michaela, uh, I lost my wallet. Michaela's looking in the car for it. She tears apart our car looking for my wallet, right? She can't find it. Um, And she says, yeah, I can't find it in the car. But then you get like trust issues. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just go check the car. And she's like, I just checked it. And then I tear apart the car and then I can't find it either. Anyways, um, (laughs) uh, I believe that God is still in the business of looking for true worshipers. He's looking like that. Like we look for our wallets. He's looking, he's like, where are they? Where are the true worshipers? I think that's what the Lord is doing. Uh, My hope really is just after this study in Malachi that we'll have a clear understanding of uh, just how to do that. How do we worship the Lord in a way that pleases him? That's it. How do we do that? Uh, Sometimes the Bible gives us the do's of how to worship him. Sometimes he's like, we, it's like, hey, you should do this, this, and this to worship the Lord. Malachi really is the don'ts <laughs> of how to worship him. Do not do this, do not do this, and do not do this if you want to please God. But okay, let's get into it. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. All right, well, burden there can also be translated oracle. You guys might have a little footnote that says that oracle the words are really synonymous, and not to get hung up on the translation, but what it implies is that this word of the Lord to Israel is one of judgment. It's one of, uh, guys, this is not great news. The burden of the word of the Lord, okay? This is going to be a tough one, okay? Uh, I had mentioned that in this book, there are going to be some rebukes that happen, but before the rebuke happens, listen to what the Lord says in verse 2. I have loved you says the Lord. I have loved you. And I want to just pause there just for a second and camp on that. Before he rebukes them, and it is a big rebuke, it's a bummer. He reminds them of his great love towards them. God was bummed out that he was pouring out his love and essentially it was unreturned. And he's seeing that they're worshiping idols. He's like, man, okay, you guys are worshiping idols, but those idols, they're not loving you back. I'm the one that's loving you back. You've loved the idols, but They haven't loved you. I I love this verse. Regarding this verse, one commentator wrote that this love is an all-time sort of love. So he says, I have loved you. I have loved you. I do love you. And I will love you. So I I love that the Lord does that to us. Just before before this uh, rebuke, he says, without a doubt, I have loved you. He just makes it clear to them. It's pretty cool. My Bible, it actually says uh, the heading. You know, they have little headings over the verses. Mine says, Israel beloved of God. And that's so true. That is so true. The Lord loves Israel. He loves us too. But I can say that about myself. I am beloved of God 100%. But because the Lord loves us, there's something that goes hand in hand with that. And that's he disciplines us. The Lord disciplines us. We read that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, uh, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. I'm skipping down a little bit here. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We don't use that word too much anymore, chastens, but um, and scourges every son whom, whom he receives. Another translation says that God will discipline those that he loves. 
And it's true. He does that to us, right? Okay, and then back to verse 2. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? So just imagine the Israelites, they're folding their arms going, God says, I have loved you. And they say, in what way? In what way have you loved us? <laughs> and God's about to show them here. But the Israelites are going to ask seven questions throughout this book. And they're really disappointing questions. They're all sort of like this. And it just proves that they are in a spiritual state that is just cold. They are totally cold. They are not recognizing it. Uh, this is the first of those questions. But look at how the Lord responds. This is, this is really trippy. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Okay. So, interesting verse here. He says, uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, okay? And people get really tripped up over this verse, so I want to explain it really as clearly as I can. So at this time, I'm just going to stick to my notes and just try to make this clear for us because it is a little bit difficult to understand, but there's an answer. Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 is also quoted in Romans chapter 9 verses 10 through 13. The Apostle Paul is talking and this is what he says. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, we can take that down. But when we study the scriptures, it's important to look at the context. It's extremely important. We always look at the context surrounding each verse. In this case, uh, Malachi chapter 1, the verse that we just read there, and in Romans chapter 9, the prophet Malachi and the apostle Paul are using the name Esau to refer to his descendants, to the Edomites, okay? Esau, Edomites, they were the descendants. And so we're going to pull up this uh, little chart too. Might be helpful, the genealogy of... Here, wow, that's really small. Let's see it. Okay, but on this chart, it shows that Isaac and Rebekah had two sons. You guys remember Isaac and Rebekah? Isaac is the son of Abraham, whom he was, uh, Abraham thought he was going to have to sacrifice him. He didn't end up having to do that. But Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Jacob and Esau. God would choose Jacob. Okay, we can take this down on, guys. Thank you. God would choose Jacob, who he later renamed Israel, to be the father of the Israelites. Okay, God's chosen people, but God rejected Esau, who was also called Edom, and did not choose him to be the father of his chosen people. But it should be noted that uh, Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, they were blessed by God. So with all that context in mind, when the Bible talks about loving Jacob and hating Esau, it has less to do with the human emotions that we feel of love and hate. The emphasis here is really God choosing one man and all of his descendants and rejecting another man and all of his descendants. You know, God chose Abraham out of all the men in the world. He says, I'm going to bless the nations through you, Abraham. So really the Bible could say God loved Abraham and hated every other man. So it's just more about accepting and rejecting. But God says to the Israelites, I have loved you guys. They ask, what way have you loved us? God is using this example here of Jacob and Esau to say, look, I chose you guys. Out of everybody else in the world, I chose you guys. That's how I love you guys. The Messiah is going to come through you guys. Uh, Normally, traditionally speaking, Esau is the older brother. He would receive the blessing. 
he was the one that was, you know, supposed, the blessing was supposed to come through, but instead God chooses Jacob. But this is really the kicker, okay? Listen to this. Jacob wasn't that great. He was a deceiver. <laughs> he was, uh, it says he was crafty, but it's not a compliment. Crafty is not a compliment. He's, he's a deceiver, okay? Really is an example there just of God's grace, but God still chose to work through him in his lineage. This is a cool story, but once a woman came up to Charles Spurgeon, um, and she said this, I, I can't understand why God says that he hated Esau. This is how Spurgeon responded. He said, that's not my difficulty, ma'am. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. <laughs> and that's really the point of the verse here. Um, and I wanted to read to you this quote too by a, a pastor named Nelson Dominguez. He says, and I'm quoting this right here, uh, God chose Abraham's son Isaac instead of Abraham's son Ishmael. The Bible very well could say, Isaac I loved and Ishmael I hated. Romans chapter 9 and Malachi verses one, uh, chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 make it abundantly clear that loving Jacob and hating Esau was entirely related to which of them God chose. So again, the Bible and really the point of the passage there is proving that the Israelites are in a really bad spiritual state. Very bad. God is saying, look, I didn't have to choose you guys. I could have chosen the Edomites, not the Israelites, that the Messiah would come through, but I didn't. You have my special favor. And really, I think it is an encouragement through this. Like the Israelites, I mean, we can reject the love of God too, uh, but just remember that God chose you. When we don't return God's love, man, just disheartening, and that's really the point here. You know, it's also helpful, I think, to view it as a, as a parent, you know, when we pour out our love on our kids, right now my daughter's really young, but um, sometimes I'll say, I love you, I love you, Posey. And she looks at me and goes, no. It's like, ow. <laughs> I really hurt. I think you do love me. Anyways, hope that was a sufficient answer. Hope that all makes sense, but we're going to keep going. So this is verse 4, Malachi chapter 1, verse 4. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. So the Lord is now saying to the Edomites, look, I chose Israel. You guys can do your best. You can try to advance your kingdom, but in the end, you're gonna be thrown down. You can choose to rise up against Israel, but not gonna work out. Israel will win in the end. Moving on to verse six, Malachi chapter one, verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So again, that question comes up. Well, how have we done that? We haven't done that. What do you mean? So God moves on from rebuking really the people to rebuking the priests of that time. Again, this is something that Nehemiah did. And they say, Lord, in, in what way have we despised your name? Because we thought we had it going on. We thought things were actually going pretty, pretty good around here. So how, how have we done that? But the Lord uses an illustration here that the Jews would have been very familiar with. He says, well, it involves a son and a father and a servant and a master. So God is saying, look, I'm your father. I'm your master. And you guys are not honoring me. Where, where's the reverence for me? But even worse than that, you guys are de deceived because you think you're doing a good job. You don't have a repentant spirit not giving me reverence. So that's what the Lord is saying here. 
But this is a really important to me. Again, it's directed at the priest, so um, I wouldn't call myself a priest. I'm, I'm standing up here talking, though. But, you know, I can easily be self-deceived. I can easily say, you know, yeah, I got the whole church thing going on, and um, I'm, you know, super holy, and I've been in this building all week long or whatever, but we can easily just deceive ourselves. Here's the point of that passage. Look at verse 7 now. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say... In what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blindness a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the layman sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, favorably says the Lord of hosts. So now the Lord says, oh, I'll tell you how you defiled me. How have we defiled you? I'll tell you how. You're offering me defiled food. You're giving me moldy bread. You're giving me your crusty leftovers. (laughs) That's how you guys are defiling me. Uh, Again, directed at the priests here. And the priests at this time, we can see that they were offering defiled sacrifices. They're offering blind, lame, and sick animals. And really the picture there is like they have a good fat calf on the side and that's what they should be offering to the Lord. But they're like, "Uh, no, we're saving that one. We're saving that one for us. But Lord, listen, here's the thing. We've got a, a blind one and really sick. It has mad cow disease and uh, only three legs. And we're going to put it down anyways. But we thought to ourselves, why not just offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice? What's the Lord supposed to say? Is he supposed to go, oh, man. thank you guys. My goodness, thank you. I know you're going to put this, you know, you get the point. That's the point. The Lord's doing it right there. How is he supposed to respond? And he says, you wouldn't even offer, go ahead and offer it to the governor. The idea there too is just someone of human authority, someone that you really look up to. Uh, ask yourself, would I offer an extremely important person this? Would I even offer this to uh, somebody that I really look up to, a mentor? Would I bring him, the blind and the lame and the sick sacrifice? Here's the warning, you guys. I am capable of offering the Lord lame sacrifices. I'm totally... Just, I'm capable of offering the Lord my leftovers. Uh, they were offering the Lord just that, their leftovers. But they were expecting him to be pleased with it. They were expecting him to be happy with it. But the Lord, he's saying here, I, I don't want it. I mean, would you want it? Ask yourself that. Would you want that? Um, I was just reminded, the Israelites are withholding their best from the Lord. But God didn't withhold his best from us, Right? I mean, he gave us his one and only son. Jesus is described as the perfect, the perfect sacrifice. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. But it says he offered himself without spot, no blemishes, the perfect sacrifice. Really think to the application for me, man, God gave up the very best for me. Um, Who am I to give him any less than that? This is really my encouragement, too, throughout this whole thing. Give God your very best, man. Give him your very, very best. 
That's real worship. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's your best, man. That is the real worship that the Lord is seeking. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Give to God the best of what you have. Um, yeah, that's the offering that the Lord wants. That's what he's seeking. You know, David, King David, King David, love that guy. He, he really understood this whole concept very well. Uh, it's Second Samuel chapter 24. I'm just going to briefly summarize this story, 2 Samuel chapter 24. But David is king. And David does something uh, really foolish. He takes a census. Do you guys remember this story when David takes a census? Now, he wasn't supposed to take a census. You guys are like, okay, well, what's the big deal about David taking a census? Well, the Lord had said earlier in the Bible, don't take a census or else there's going to be plagues. Again, what's the big deal though? The principle that the Lord had mentioned in Exodus chapter 30 Really, the cultural thinking of the time was this. If you took a census, that means that you owned those people that you were taking a census of, okay? So David, by doing that, is saying, yeah, these are my people. But the Lord is saying, no, David, these are my people. They're not your people. Uh, It was really just a a selfish thought. Uh, God is saying, you don't own these people. I own these people. And David wanted to know the number, though. He wanted to know, okay, how many warriors do I have versus how many civilians I have? And really the thought behind that is, now I know who we can beat in battle. Now I know that, okay, we can take this nation on because we got the numbers, okay? But this nation, we're going to stay away from. Here's the problem, though. What if the Lord wanted them to take on that nation and they were outnumbered? Okay, so anyways, that's why the census uh, was sinful, right? I mean, the numbers don't matter to the Lord. I mean, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, right? Imagine what all these guys with swords he could do, you know, the damage he could do there. But anyways, David does, he goes through with it. He takes the census. His captain is like, David, don't take the census. David's like, we're going to take the census, and you're going to be the guy that's going to count everybody. And he's like, okay. So he goes, it takes nine months. They count everybody. They end up with 500,000 civilians is the number, and 800,000 warriors, so almost a million warriors. Takes nine months again. Sorry, I mentioned that. But David feels convicted afterward. He goes, ah, I shouldn't have done that. He gets this conviction. It actually says that his heart condemned him afterward. He's like, man, I should not have taken that census. Dang it, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Next day, the Lord sends his prophet. This prophet's name is Gad, okay? Aren't you glad your name isn't Gad? (laughs) But he says to David, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have taken the census. But you get to choose your own punishment. That's crazy, right? He says, okay, here are your options for your punishment. You can do seven years of famine for the whole nation, or you can be on the run from your enemies for three months, or you can have three days of plagues. David goes, well, I don't want to deal with humans. Humans are wicked and evil, so just give give me the three days of plagues. We'll do the three days of plagues. So that happens. 70,000 people die from the plagues. And afterward, he's praying for the plagues to stop. Um, And so he goes to sacrifice and build an altar to the Lord to pray. And he meets a gentleman named Aravna who has a threshing floor. Again, we don't really use that term anymore. It's just an elevated surface on the ground that they would use to thresh wheat, okay? Threshing floor. But David wants to build an altar there, okay? And so he goes to this guy named Aravna. It's his threshing floor. And he says, hey, Aravna, here's the deal, man. I want to make an altar here, and I want to buy this threshing floor from you. And Aravna actually does something pretty cool. He goes, uh, I'll give it to you for free. And not only that, I've got some oxen that you could sacrifice to. 
on the house. They're yours. You can have these oxen, okay? And I have even wood that you can burn. And this is, uh, this is how David responds. This is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 24 through 25. Then the king said, speaking of David, said to Rabbanah, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Cool, right? Again, it was a generous offer from Aravna, but David says, no, 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 you, you don't get it, man. I'm not gonna offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. I'm not gonna offer him a freebie, okay? Man, pray that we can have a heart like David. I just pray that we can be people that we just wanna give God the very best, the thing that costs us something, not the leftovers. I think about just that saying, the first fruits of our labor, the really good stuff, that's what we wanna give the Lord, the best of you, the very best of you, the ribeye, not the rump roast, man. Give him the ribeye. <laughs> All right, verse nine, let's keep it moving. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle, kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts nor will I accept an offering from your hands. Wow. Lord responds now just by saying, hey, listen, if you're gonna go to the, that route, if you're gonna go the route of offering me those types of sacrifices, I, I would just rather you didn't offer me any sacrifices. In fact, we <laughs> read it there. Verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors? Shut the doors of the church before you come in and give me the, the lame stuff. I would prefer you just didn't do it at all. <laughs> he says, that's not the offering I want. I'm not gonna accept that from your hands. I would rather you shut the doors. I mean, I'm not trying to bust anybody's chops tonight, but that's just, we, we have to pay attention to that. We have to say, man, Lord, I wanna be offering you the real worship, the real thing, not the fakery. Lord, I don't wanna give you that. It's like Splenda, okay? Do you guys like Splenda? Okay, I was trying to, ch- yeah, good. We don't like Splenda, no. <laughs> I'm a coffee drinker. I love, uh, I love coffee, and I love having real sugar in my coffee. Um, I've tried Splenda before, and, uh, and there might be some Splenda lovers in here who just don't want to admit it. It's okay, man. It's all good. God loves you. He does. Um, I've tried. I, I really have. Uh, but you take a sip of it, and I, my face goes like this. I'm like, I, I would just rather not have anything and I'd, I'd rather just drink it black before I had Splenda in it. That's me personally. No judgment if you're a Splenda lover, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. If the real thing, if real sugar isn't available, I don't want anything. I don't want the fake one. It's like the Impossible Whopper. It's made, what is it, made of beans? What's it made of? What's it really made of? You don't know. We don't know what it's really made of. It's like... I want a glass of water before I want a hamburger that's made of beans, okay? Just give me that. <laughs> so to the Lord, man. So to the Lord. He wants real worship. He doesn't want fake worship. Just hold off on the fake worship before we do that. 
just scary. He says he would rather us close the doors to the church than have fake worship. Uh, He won't accept the offering from our hands. Just a good principle, man. Not everything that is offered to God as worship will he accept as worship. We just can't expect that everything that we offer up, oh, Lord, yeah, here's the leftovers. Some stuff he's not going to be thrilled with. Amen. Okay, let's look at verse 11, Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You know, incense uh, that he mentions here, really always a picture of prayer. That's what we're seeing here in verse 11. And he says that his name shall be uh, made great among the Gentiles. That's really a prophecy that would come true later on. Paul would take the gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, it is true. His name is great among the nations. Verse 12, but you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a wariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. We find out here in this verse that they were bringing stolen sacrifices as well and offering them to the Lord. And you get what the priests are doing right here. They're essentially bringing them roadkill. That's what they're doing. And they're saying, Lord, uh, how's this? He's going, no, I don't want that. Don't bring him. But I wanted to look at this. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13 there. You also say, oh, what a weariness. In other words, what a chore it is to come in here and worship. What a chore it is that I, I have to... Uh, kindle the fire and I got to get everything set up and we got to have the curtains, all that. Man, what a chore, what a weariness it is. You know, the minute that what we have going on with the Lord becomes a weariness, the minute it becomes that, just that a chore to us, I just think that's a red flag. Red flag. I'm not saying that we won't get weary or tired. We get weary, we get tired. Amen. We, We all do, certainly. But the minute it becomes... Oh, we have to go to church. We have to go to Wednesday night service tonight or no one's going to think we're real Christians. Oh, gosh. I just am so tired. I don't want to do this. Mow the lawn. Got to put on your Sunday best. Uh, man, just time out right there. Just, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe don't come. <laughs> maybe just do a heart check right there. Maybe just we pause, we zoom out. Do a reset. When we come to the, to the house of the Lord, man, let's come just, not that we're always gonna be full of joy, but you get my point that we wanna come and we wanna worship. We wanna do it for real. We're into the word right now. We're opening it. We're receiving from the Lord. Man, we're so blessed to have this worship team up here just cranking it. Just like, man, let's really worship him. Let's be here for the right reasons. It's so convicting to me, you know, because I, 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 love, I love to worship but I love to go to NFL football games too. I love to go to any football game, man. And if you see me on the sidelines, somebody scores a touchdown, I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm like into it. Somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey man, I got front row seats to a Boise State game. I'm like, yes, I'm in, you know, let's go. And I'm the guy wearing all the blue stuff. That's me, for real. Someone comes up to me and says, hey man, I got got you a ticket, front row seat at church. Do I have the same reaction? (laughs) 
Is it the same? Just a heart check for us. Just a heart check. That's all it is, right? Want to make sure that we're, we're worshiping the Lord in that way. All right, well, look at this here. This is verse 14. Verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That's how we're going to close out the chapter here. But we can see here that they were making uh, false vows, false pledges, uh, partially fulfilled promises. They were saying, Lord, yeah, no, the fat cap, we're going to give it to you, no question. Yep, it's yours. Come next week, Sunday, 7 a.m., we'll be there cooking it for you. But then they did the old switcheroo you know, when the time came. So an unfulfilled vow there. And in verse 14, again, we read, cursed be the deceiver. Uh, that's somebody who, who they did have a perfectly good sacrifice. They vowed to sacrifice it to the Lord, didn't do it. They instead sacrificed something that was blemished. Cursed be that person. In other words, I mean, well, you get it from the language. Don't be that person, right? Really, the deceiver, too, speaks of somebody that is withholding something from the Lord. Uh, I was reminded of Ananias and Sapphira. There were two people who tried to slight God. Uh, you guys remember that story, Acts chapter 5? They, they tried to deceive the Lord, right? They tried to give him less than their very best. Um, just as a quick recap, they sold a possession and they withheld part of the money. They took some of the money, but they told, here's the problem, they told the church, we gave you all the money from what we sold. What ends up happening is Peter calls him out on it. The Holy Spirit reveals it to him, and they both end up falling over dead. It's actually a really, really, uh, really crazy story. Powerful warning. Really, really strong warning to us. All right. Well, listen, that's how we're going to close out the chapter. And I just wanted to end with this question, you guys, uh, tonight. Are we offering God our very best? Are you giving him, and it, I'm, again, not trying to bust anybody's chops, man. It's just a good reflection what am I offering up unto the Lord? Is it the best I could do? Is it excellent? Is it awesome? You know, sometimes uh, in the church, man, we, got, we have lots of procedures, lots of behind the scenes stuff. And some people, you know, can look at that and be like, why do you guys do that? Well, we want to do it excellent. That's why we have, we've got a lot of different ministries and there's policies and procedures for all of them because we want to do it as best as we can when we come here and we worship the Lord, amen. Again, I was just reminded, he set the example for us though. He didn't withhold the very best from us, right? He gave us the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. Um, yeah, just give God your very very best. At this time, uh, we'll maybe have the worship team come back up as we close here. I wanted to... Uh, finished by re reading this verse to you guys. You don't have to turn there, but it's in Luke chapter 21, verses one through four. We'll put it up on the screen here. This is Jesus. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. <laughs> if that's not real worship, man, I don't know what is. You know, it's funny, a mite 
a mite is uh, one-eighth of a penny. She had two mites, two one-eighths, one quarter, quarter of a penny. That was all her livelihood, and she put it in. That's real worship, man. Well, may we be those who really worship the Lord. Amen? All right. Uh, yeah, I'll pray for us again, and then we'll, we'll close, uh, close here with the song. But Father, oh man, thank you, Lord, for the perfect sacrifice for Jesus, Lord. We just look unto you, and we thank you for your goodness um, and your faithfulness to us. We, uh, Lord, just forgive us for those times when I, I know I sure don't. I, I don't offer you my best every time, Lord. Forgive me for those moments, Father. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here who maybe felt as I felt as I read this, like just just a just a good conviction, Lord. I pray that uh, you would just restore, Lord, and that you you would just give us that spirit of excellence. It's just going, Lord. I want to give you the very best of me. I want it to be awesome for you. I don't, I don't want to give you my leftovers, Lord. I don't want to give you the lame stuff. I want to give you the very best that I got, Lord. So I, I just ask that you would do that, Lord. Give us that spirit. Help us to, to worship you, Lord. We're messed up. We're flawed. We mess up all the time, Father, but we just count on your great grace to cover us, Father. Thank you for the grace that is found in you, Lord, that nobody uh, that's too far gone, nobody that's uh, an outcast is too far from you, Lord. I pray that you're near to those with broken hearts, people that are uh, just rejected, Lord. I, I pray that, man, you would help us, us to reach those, Lord, and that uh, you would just continue to give us that spirit of thankfulness. And we are so thankful, Lord, just for your great grace upon us, Lord. We worship you tonight, and thank you again for your word. Amen.